I want to welcome all of you to our podcast, From My Kitchen Table, which is both inspired and created by our successful and award-winning Women Create magazines. For those of you who do not know me, I am Jo Packham, a small-town homegrown girl who had no big dreams of being the creator and editor-in-chief of your magazines, Where and What Women Create, among which we have profiled over 745 women from around the world in over 265 books and magazines. I am so thankful that you are here joining us today. Our podcast, which is for and all about you, will be coming to you weekly. So please listen on your platform of choice. The guests we have are visionaries who consist of artists, designers, foodies, and entrepreneurs each taking us through the ups and the downs of living a creative life. I will be introducing you to those in our industry, some well-known and some you have never met. These women have crafted amazing works of imagination, transformed cooking and baking into an art form, built successful businesses, inspired entire communities, and each has a story to tell of perseverance and triumph that will help each of us on our own personal journey. So welcome to From My Kitchen Table. This is the place to come together, to learn, and to share the passion, the process, the inspiration, the wisdom, and the journeys of living a creative life. I would like to welcome all of you to From My Kitchen Table today. I say this a lot, and it sometimes comes across as not very sincere, but I want you to know how sincere I am when I say that each one of these podcasts is so very special. And today is extremely special to me because this is the first time that I've had a guest on my podcast that I haven't met personally. And um, her name is Donna Watson, and I'm gonna read her bio here, her intro in just a minute. And Donna told us before we came on the podcast that this is her, official first podcast. So we have lots of firsts going on here today. And um, even though I have never met Donna, I have been a huge fan for a very long time. I love her art and um, her studio. We featured in Where Women Create and it is absolutely a dream come true for a lot of us. So let me tell you a little bit about Donna Watson. She is a mixed media artist for 40 years. Her mediums include painting, collage, assemblage, textile, and handmade books. Her paintings have been accepted into many juried international and national exhibitions, and she has received numerous awards. Donna has extensive experience as a juror and workshop instructor all over the US, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Her artworks and studio have been published in magazines like American Artist, The Artist Magazine, and my favorite, Where Women Create. Her art has also been published in numerous books, including Master's Collage. More recently, her paintings have been included in the book Cold Wax Medium, and her collages are included in the book Fragmentation and Repair. She has also published a number of her own books on blurb.com. Donna is a guest on my podcast today to share with you her concept of mindful creativity, how to find your own true, deep, personal, unique artistic voice in your artwork and bring it to a more conscious level of focus, thinking, and creating. Donna, thank you so much for being on my podcast and welcome to From My Kitchen Table. Hi, Joe. Hi, everybody out there. And thank you for inviting me. Oh, my gosh. It's such an honor. I'm always so afraid to ask all of you because I'm really insecure about being the podcast host. So I always very much appreciate it and very honored when you say that you will be my guest. And especially when I learned that this is your first. So yes, it's a little I'm a little, you know, I'm just, I'm going to I'm going to hang in there, though. I'm very excited to be here. You are definitely going to hang in there. Well, I know that you've had a very long and quite varied career. So I'm going to let you start where in your career you want to start to tell our listeners about you and what you love. You can start at the beginning. You can start at the middle. You can start wherever you want. Well, I like to start in the beginning because it uh, my beginnings sort of explain where I've ended up today. 
I've been on a very long journey and what I believe in so strongly now had little had little seedlings or beginnings, you know, um, many years ago. I just didn't know it at that time because <laughs> I was very unconscious of everything I was trying to do. Uh, as a child, I did like to uh, draw and paint, but what I was good at then and all I knew about to do was copy what I saw. And um, I'd love to draw and paint, and but I was always copying what was in front of me. And I went to college thinking I'd major in art, but I um, am easily distracted and I'm curious and interested in a lot of things. And I changed my major several times. I started <laughs> off taking art courses, but I, I always joke about how I changed my major depending on what guy I was dating at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I went into psychology for a while, a geology, I love rocks, so geology. Uh, I ended up getting a master's degree in deaf education and teaching in a deaf children's school for four years. So during all my college years and teaching years, I didn't do any art, but I had my first son. I now I, I ended up with three sons, but my first son was born and I was home, I got, I thought I needed a hobby. So I started painting watercolor landscape. And for about 15 years, I was very, um, just focused on learning the technique of the watercolor. And um, very, uh, not very conscious at all, or any thought at all to why I was painting what I was, how, uh, how come, you know, in nothing, nothing like that at all why I was choosing the colors I did or anything. Um, I just followed the, the, the crowd in the watercolor world, did whatever they were doing. I started selling very early, sales took over very mindlessly, unconsciously, uh, or nothing, no thought at all, but sales. And so that's where, I, the, that's where um, after those 15 years, I realized I didn't want to be that type of artist. And that started on me on my new journey of trying to find out more about myself. Oh, well, and it's really interesting because when you talk about sales taking over for a lot of artists, that's the dream, right? Mm -hmm. Is to be very successful in selling. And yeah. sometimes they never experience that. So you go girl. I mean, yes. <laughs> um, I, um, uh, well, I, I did the same thing, you know, money. Uh, now, also, we had a young family. Um, I had quit teaching. We were all living on one income. So sales did help us pay the bills as well. And that is a, that's a real dilemma for a lot of artists. There are a lot of artists who support themselves and have bills to pay. And they get caught in between this um, need to sell and trying to um, stay true to them, who they are as an artist and express what they want to express. And sometimes some artists can't find that balance between the two. Oh, a I lot agree. of time though, I, I have met a lot of artists who get into that sale, that sales sort of, um, the sales place, the, the place where that's all they concentrate and think about. And they sort of get stuck there and they never, do find themselves as an artist. They're always thinking about what will sell, what sells best, things like that. Well, I, um, as my sons got older and I um, was able to, um, you know, my, uh, my husband's, uh, um, he became manager. In other words, he was able to start paying more of the bills. I was able to uh, although we tightened our belts for a while, but I was able to start thinking more about what type of artist did I want to be and um, how, how could I balance the, the need for sales and expressing myself. And I actually feel like as soon as you start expressing yourself, I think sales come for the higher place where, where the artist's soul is. Right. When the artist starts expressing what's inside and what's in their soul, I think people see that authenticity and that honesty, and they might respond even more because um, I've had a lot of success since I quit painting those landscape paintings for sales. <laughs> 
but you had a lot of success with them too. So you've gone yes. from, some, some, from success to success. So that's a nice story in and of itself. Well, I, I have to say though, I'm honest about this. When I quit painting those um, watercolor landscape paintings and gave up all those sales, I had spent 15 years only painting watercolor landscapes. And I didn't know, I didn't have a clue where to go or what to do next. So I actually ended up in a, in a depression for about a year. And I ended up having to go to see a counselor and on Prozac uh, to get that equilibrium back into my mental state and then get back to work. And when I finally did get back to work, I did a lot of journaling and reading and trying to re-educate myself about the art world and um, art, artists going to museums, galleries, reading books. So I, um, I sort of went what I call into this black hole for about a year. But once I pulled out of that and felt better, I got back to work. And, um, and now uh, I would say I'm happier. My, I'm not selling as much, of course, but um, I'm just much happier as an artist. You know, always um, trying to figure out what who I am and what I want to convey. Well, so. plus, um, two, you may not be selling more, um, but you're teaching now, right? And yes. you're part of all of these collaborations, these books and in these magazines. And did you have that before when you were painting, just painting no. for 15 years? No, I had none of that. Uh, uh, I, um, I actually, all I had actually was the sales. Um, because I was concentrating so much on those sales. I was in a number of galleries. I really couldn't keep up with the sales. I was, I'd paint late into the night after my sons went to bed, I would be painting. <laughs> I would actually joke about how, um, you know, how, when you have a, a, a newborn baby and you get up in the middle of the night and, um, I can remember waking up uh, in the morning and I still had the the diaper over my shoulder where I had with the baby and I just fell back into bed. Well, I would joke about when I'd wake up in the morning, I was holding the paintbrush in bed <laughs> because I'm oh. so late. I just go fall into bed and I still had my painting apron on and my paintbrush in my hand. So I strictly, um, I had no collaborations. I was not teaching or traveling or juring. Um, I was not even getting accepted into any shows uh, because watercolor landscapes are not, they're pretty, you know, people want to hang them in their bathroom. <laughs> or their bathroom. <laughs> they, they would come with their uh, pillow uh, cushion from their sofa to match okay. the colors, right? right. Or the paint um, chip paper from the wall of their to match the painting the paint on their wall so i was not nothing like that was happening for me that that's why after 15 years it's did i did start to take a look at where i was going with my art i had i was really technically there period i there was nowhere further to go in other words um so I didn't like what I had become as an artist. I wanted more in my life, in my art too. And I wanted to express more at a deeper level. And, but that took some, um, that black hole <laughs> and pulling out of that. And then it took another year of journaling and making lists and reading and searching because I still didn't know what I wanted to, um, do is what what I wanted to create or how as an artist at that point either but um I have been at on this journey for many years now and I am so much more fulfilled and satisfied as an artist and so that's what I try to bring to um, any workshops I do teach is um my own experience of how I found myself and how I think helping artists find themselves would be um, 
would really help them to, if that's what they're looking for. Sometimes artists don't know what they're searching for. Yeah. I, I, I know I was there. I didn't know either for what I, I think was. We've all been there, right? Yes. And I think it's very brave of you. And I have to thank you because it is such a gift for all of us for you to share the fact that when you decided you needed to change, you went into a very dark place because yeah. a lot of us are afraid to admit that out loud. It seems like a sign of failure and um, weakness, some what we've been ingrained with all these years, when actually going into the deep hole and searching your soul is really a very brave thing to do. And so it's nice that you share it with our listeners because, you know, there's the old adage, there's safety in numbers, and you always feel like, oh, I'm not the only one, right? right. And there is light at the end of the tunnel that isn't another train and those kinds of things. So tell us, after you did all of your journaling and you were feeling more secure, tell us what happened next. Where did you go next? Well, when I was painting the watercolor landscapes, I was already there were personality traits and part of my nature and my likes and dislikes there in my paintings that I didn't recognize or know was there. And it wasn't until as I look back at those years that, um, because I don't like much color. Uh, I don't like the color yellow. <laughs> um, I, wear, I wear a lot of black and gray and taupe. Taupe is actually my favorite color. So, um, but so when I was painting those watercolor landscape paintings, my paintings then, even though they sold, I, I was able to figure out, because uh, I live in the Pacific Northwest and we have ferry boats and we have uh, lakes in um, the Puget Sound, bo bodies of water. If I put in the distance of a landscape, a little piece of water with some little sailboats in it or a ferry boat, I figured out that would, it would sell. So I, even though I was selling a lot, my paintings did not have a lot of color back then. And it bothered me that I couldn't seem to put in yellow or orange and red. So I kept trying to read books and study up on color, thinking as soon as I figured out the, what color theory was, I would be putting more of those colors in. Well, I never did get to that. And so um, what, what I found out when I started exploring who I was, what I liked, what I didn't like, and how to bring that to my work currently, I discovered I didn't like much color. And now I just own it. I just accept it. If you want, if you like my work, there's not going to be much color there, you know. And I like texture. I like the contrast of light and dark. So when I started on this new journey, I had to find out and figure out more about who I was and what I liked and how I could bring that to my work. Because I believe it's very important that your work is very consistent and recognizable. So no matter what my medium is, I, I paint, I do I'm collage, I do assemblage, I do lots of the several different mediums. My consistency of who I am is in all my work, no matter what my medium is. I just, uh, there's not much color in any, any anywhere. Um, and that strong light and dark contrast. Uh, when I was doing the landscape paintings, I painted, I travel around and take pictures of houses to paint. And the houses would be red or green or blue or yellow. I changed them all to white <laughs> in my paintings because what I liked was that light and dark contrast of the white house next to dark trees or the hills behind or something. I just did not know it. I was unconsciously doing that. Well, now I can look back and say, yeah, that's why I did that. And I think that's finding out who you are as an artist and bringing it to your work. I think that is very important for an artist to do. And so when I teach my workshops, I am hoping I can help artists not go into that big black hole like I did, because that was not a fun place to be. That was not a wonderful time. 
I wasn't feeling during that period of time, oh, I'm, I'm doing this so I can learn more. No, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was crying a lot. Like, what's wrong with me? Something's wrong with me. I can't figure out anything. I, I mean, it's a, very, it's a very dark place to be for an artist who doesn't have a clue how to go, who wants to continue to be an artist, but doesn't know how, where, what, or anything. So you were fortunate you found somebody and some place to go that understood what you needed because that sometimes is such a journey in and of itself, mm -hmm. trying to find someone who understands what you're trying to say, right? And what your problems are. I think I live in a community that is not art oriented at all. And so trying to find someone. I mean, I've gone to therapists my entire life for different reasons, but when I was having trouble with trying to decide to be a publisher or not, I couldn't find a therapist in my area. And, but, and in those days, you didn't do it on the phone and there wasn't Zoom and all that kind of stuff who could even relate to the world of all the artists and the ups and the downs and the passion and the everything that goes with what we do and the quirky hours. I mean, yeah. you know, artists work quirky hours. I get calls in the middle of the night. It's oh. like, oh, I've got this idea. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's hear what it is, right? So you were lucky to get to find someone who could help you. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, I don't think she could actually relate to the art artist part of it or the art part of it. Oh, really? She, you know, she was able to, I mean, they're tapping into your own personal psyche as a human being and a mm -hmm. person. And I have a tendency to see the glass half empty. Oh, uh -huh. and um, I can be pretty, I can really beat myself up. I mean, I really thought I should quit. I oh, didn't have no. it in me to be an artist and I really should quit. And so as I would was talking about my feelings and my feeling of loss and despair and all that she would say okay turn what you just said any negative words you just said you have to make a positive word for it and um so I just felt like uh, I don't know sometimes I wonder how or if non-artists actually do understand what artists go through right I I I tend to think they don't or can't because um, the drive that keeps an artist going, uh, no matter what obstacles are there, you know, and we just, I mean, I learn more from failures than successes. I, I make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> and so my stubbornness and my determination um, overcomes the obstacles. And uh, I, I don't know if a non-artist can actually understand what drives an artist to, especially when I, for myself, I'm trying to get to that deeper place in myself. Um, I'm not just trying to learn a new technique or a new medium. Um, although I, I do try to learn those, uh, but it's always from where I'm coming from and who I am, so. I agree with you 100%. I don't think they understand. You, you have to have that personality. I mean, even my daughter, who's lived with me her entire life, you know, I mean, not lived with me, lived with me, but we're pretty close. Her entire life has never, she still can't understand me. It's like, she can't understand the collecting. She can't mm -hmm. understand the moving from project to project. She can't understand all of the ideas. You know, it's just like, mom, you know, <laughs> sit down and settle down for just a minute. And I settle down for a minute and then I with me, it's publishing. So there's a new idea for a new book. Let's do these kinds of articles. I'm going to call her out of the clear blue sky, right? So yeah. tell us what, after you um, did a little self-examination and worked yourself out of your problems, what, did you start doing collage at that point? Was that when you started collage? Yes. Um, so the, well, the first thing I did when I came out of that black hole besides finding about who I was as you know, a person and my, my nature and personality traits, which by the way, a lot of people see as negative, but I turn into positive for how I get my work done. I can be very obsessive and with collecting especially. And I just say, <laughs> well, that really helps me in my art, you know, my studio. 
Um, it might drive my husband crazy because sometimes we have to drive two hours back to something I didn't buy because I got accessible. But the, the, really the first thing that got me going again was I realized that I'm half Japanese and I grew up in Hawaii in a Japanese family, but my mother, um, she is very quiet and I didn't learn anything about my family history from her. Um, she, uh, we didn't have much money growing up. And so she was, I think, always in survival. <laughs> How's she going to feed three kids, you know, <laughs> and worked two or three jobs and all that. And so, um, I just never, I never thought about my Japanese heritage at all for until I was in my forties, nothing. I mean, those landscape watercolor paintings, they were just ferry boat paintings and sailboat paintings, right? So I also, um, besides on the journey of who I was, started looking at my Japanese heritage and culture. And um, I got, I started reading books. Um, I've actually been to Japan three times now, loved every trip. Oh, nice. And so um, starting to explore that, um, my culture and heritage as well. Uh, when I would go, because uh, at that point, I'm not living in Hawaii, right? I'm living here in what we call the mainland um, in Washington state and just visiting. And so I have an aunt who's two years older than my mother who speaks fluent Japanese and would travel to Japan two or three times a year on to actually taking tours oh, with, nice. to, with her. She was the tour guide. I started asking her questions. She gave me my family history, um, photographs of my grandparents and great grandparents, dates and family tree and all that. So um, I, that became a huge factor in my um, changes from that point on is, is exploring more about my um, Japanese heritage. And it's still a big part of my art. Uh, to right currently right now so when I I decided uh, during last year's lockdown the last two years lockdown to make handmade books and so I decided I was going to pick or find a Japanese word and um like my new one currently is utori which means living the poem oh and so because the Japanese have words that we have English translation can't really translate, can't really translate it. It means spaciousness or living in the living, living the poem. And what I would do is I pick a word like that, and then I would choose the subject matter to um, uh, fit that Japanese word, and I would make a, a handmade book about it. So, uh, like Shinrin Roko is um, forest bathing. In Japan, oh. where you, the it's very beneficially healthy to just go out into the woods and just soak in the <laughs> bird sounds and um, just wander around. And I just I, and I chose things you would find in the forest for my imagery for my handmade book. So even now, I always am um, somehow connecting my love of nature in with my Japanese heritage. And that's what I've been doing for probably the last 20 years. Oh my gosh. So, so tell me how you learned how to make, how you went from oil painting to making handmade books. Did you take a class? Did you just read about it and start, uh, you know, and it's success and failure? I mean, because <laughs> I have taken bookmaking classes from Sharon Payne Bolton and um, things like that. And it's, it's, it's more than just making books. It's, you know, it's a little bit daunting for, in the beginning to learn all the stitches and the yeah. secrets. So how did you, did you teach yourself? Oh, I, I've taught myself so much that um, that's why I say I learned from failures and mistakes, because whenever I try to learn some new technique or new medium or something, I spend about a year making every mistake you can make. Um, uh, for example, um, I decided to add solar plate printing to my collages because up until then I had been um, uh, 
printing images off the computer. Right. And I eventually decided that that looks a little too perfect and mechanical. And wabi-sabi is a uh, Japanese concept I love. It's I didn't want any, I don't want anything too perfect anymore. So, um, and solar plate printing is where you need a light source. It's sort of like the stuff you put outside in the sun, um, right. and the paper turns blue. And anyhow, you need a light source, and you need a plate, a metal plate. And uh, the light source creates the etching onto the plate. You don't have to do the etching. Right. Well, I spent a year trying to figure that out. And a mistake, a mistake. And those are expensive plates to waste too. So uh, the same thing happened with um, the uh, hand uh, bookmaking in that um, I first started off using um, store made or handmade, um, buying books, blank books. Right. And, um, but I had to keep looking for small books because when you buy a book, there's too many pages. And so that's a lot of collages <laughs> to fill in. So um, I, I started off thinking, okay, I'm going to start making my, my own books. So, and there's that dreaded, what I thought at the time, dreaded Coptic stitch. <laughs> and I could I not. I am still practicing the Coptic oh, stitch. I could not figure it out. Uh, and uh, I, I made, Seth, after bringing up, Seth again, name dropping, and that he invited me to be in a collaboration with, uh, there were 12 of us total artists, and we would get somebody's book, add to two pages and mail it on to the next person. So I, of course, made my own version of the Coptic Stitch, following YouTube videos and looking at diagrams in the, uh, printing off the internet and stuff. Well, um, my, Coptic stitching was so poor that by the time I got that book back after a year of traveling, it fell apart. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought, well, at least it made it home before it fell apart. <laughs> right. So um, I kept trying. I just stubborn. I am so stubborn. I would not give up on it. So I'm plugging another thing here, but I finally signed up for vintage. Page Designs, I think it's called. Um, her name is Allie something. She, uh, I joined a handmade book club. Uh -huh. And the first thing that I got from her was Coptic Stitch. Oh, nice. And so, <laughs> um, so anyhow, I finally, um, just watching her, she's very um, patient and she, she did every page. In other words, she didn't do a few and say, now you do it. She, you just sat there and I would pause and do it. You know how you can pause. Right, right. <laughs> and do it. But pretty soon she did like 20 pages or something. And I was like, just that repetition over and over. Finally, it clicked. And then when it clicked, it was like, why was that so hard? <laughs> I, I didn't understand why I couldn't figure it out for a year. So, um, and the same with the solar plate printing. I finally did take a workshop on that, which, um, really, you know, blew my mind because I've been trying to figure out from YouTube videos again. I'm not trying to put down YouTube videos, but I apparently do better if I'm uh, with somebody that is showing me patiently, slowly <laughs> how to of do course. something. And so I finally, um, my husband built me a light box. I didn't have to put it outside. Try uh, trying to find sunshine, even on a sunny day here, <laughs> where I live because I, uh, my property is on a cliff. I have a beautiful oh. view of the water, but we have a lot of tall fir trees. And as the sun is going over, <laughs> <laughs> my light source outside on the ground would change. And I was constantly outside running around trying to find another spot of sunshine. So light box helped. I also got a tabletop printing press for Christmas that year. The big oh, help. Nice. Yeah. And so, um, so I finally figured that out too. So you see how stubbornness can really <laughs> be a positive in, oh. um, well, in my art journey, I guess, because I'm very stubborn. I'm very obsessive. I'm a perfectionist that that can be a negative at times in my studio you know I I have to have everything just 
So I noticed uh, that from uh, your pictures, everything's placed perfectly on the top yeah. of the shelves. I often wonder when we get those pictures from all of you of your studios, if that's what your studio is like all the time, or if that's what your studio is just like for the photo shoot. But the audience cannot see us on this podcast, but your shelving units behind your behind you are perfect. Everything's lined yes. up in rows. It's beautiful. Yes. Uh, so um, I, when somebody's coming to my studio, I do pick up a little bit because I can get pretty cluttered. I'm, I'm currently working um, towards a one person show in a gallery. Um, the opening is August 6th. Okay. So, I'm, uh, so things can get pretty hectic here. Um, but generally, everything on my shelves are there. Um, my kitchen cabinets, the glasses are tall to short. <laughs> I have my white dishes in one cabinet, my black dishes in another cabinet. So it, when, you, uh, when you come into my home and you see my, uh, all my decor I have, if somebody was to move um, a bowl of rocks or something two inches and I come into that room, I spot that right away. <laughs> another aspect of my nature. <laughs> that's why you're so good at what you do well I, I do I, want it when and now talking about that I you've said several times in the conversation that you make a lot of mistakes mm -hmm. and I have to say Donna you are the first artist that I've heard use that term because usually when artists are doing something they don't view it as a mistake they view it as a maybe a new process maybe an outcome that they didn't expect you know, I have never heard anybody talk about it like it was a mistake. So explain that, what that looks like to you. When, when you make a mistake, is it because, is it a mistake because it isn't the intended outcome that you were trying to achieve or it just doesn't look right or you don't like it? I mean, what, how do you consider something a mistake? Well, I guess I have to divide that up into two categories because um, if I'm trying to do something like the Coptic stitch, and uh, I, I could, and I know uh, something didn't get under or over right the stitching part that I made a mistake, um, or, or let's say for example, I I did try to take up knitting and knit scarf. I kept dropping a stitch and getting holes in it. Well, I knew that was a mistake. <laughs> and if I didn't want this holy scarf, I had to fix it. So that's what I'm talking about. I learned from those type of um, mistakes that um, I'm trying to learn a certain um, stitch or technique or something. And like the solar plate printing, you, there's certain steps you can't leave out. In other okay. words, and I would forget and leave out a step. To me, that's a mistake. And I learned from that. But uh, there are other times when, um, and often I think, where um, you, I do see something I didn't intend or something, I'm doing something and then I realize, oh, look what happened here. I like right? that. Yeah. So I, I, I have two different categories. I, okay. I do believe you can um, get this eureka moments uh, unintentionally, you weren't, trying for that but something that you saw something different happen and you and I like how how that happened and I will go with that too so I don't mean I, I view all mistakes as bad or anything um, it's when I'm learning a technique that I feel like I have to uh, keep practicing right and it will eventually come hopefully <laughs> but the other mistake for example here's a really big one I um, came home from Japan and um, because I'm a paper collage artist and I liked all the boral type fabrics I was bringing home, small, you know, small squares and rem remnants, things like that. I was trying to figure out how to make paper look like the Japanese fabrics. So um, I was hand painting a lot of Japanese papers and, um, and a lot of Japanese papers have fibers and textures they um, put into the paper as they're making it. Well, I was using acrylic paint and painting the, on top of these papers. And when I pulled them off the jelly plate, I would see what was underneath oh. that I wasn't even 
um, intending to, that was not my purpose at all. And when I saw what was underneath was like, oh my God, <laughs> it just opened up my whole world. And um, that's what I teach in my collage wabi-sabi workshops is how to hand paint these Japanese papers to get certain uh, textures that look like the Japanese fabrics. And that was an accident. That was not, um, I mean, when I discovered that it was a total complete, you know, surprise and accident, but it became part of what I teach now in my collage workshops, that one, <laughs> you know, moment of, wow, that happened, yeah. I, I wish whoever invented the Coptic stitch would have considered it a mistake and moved <laughs> on to something that was a little simpler for the yes. rest of us, right? But so I think our listeners, I know I am, and I think our listeners are always interested. Um, do you teach classes online, like Zoom classes? Do you teach classes in, I mean, since COVID, okay? Before COVID, everything was very different. But now if somebody wanted to take a class from you, would they go someplace where you're teaching? Do you teach online? Do you, do you have manuals? How do, you, how do I learn your technique? Well, um, so pre-COVID, I, I taught everything on location in person. Right. And I've traveled, I've been to Australia, New Zealand, Canada, all over the United States. Um, then COVID hit and um, Zoom came about. And um, so the past two years, I was mostly um, online. And sometimes I'd offer a workshop through an art group, art association. And sometimes I would offer my own. And um, I've taught collage workshops online and uh, personal expression. I have a workshop I call Sense of Place. I just love the sense of place because where I live is loaded with it. You know, I have beach, I have my Japanese gardens, I have the woods, the trails through the woods. So um, this year um, it's been a combination in that um, I have switched back to teaching on location. Oh, nice. And, um, but What's been happening this year on location is people drop out at the last minute because COVID. They and do. it's been hard to sort of fill these uh, on location workshops. Um, so I'm decided for this coming 2023 year, I'm probably gonna go back to online. Um, I do have one um, workshop coming up the end of June and then a big workshop in Australia in September. And I believe there will be the links for that at the pod, um, at the, your podcast on the location yeah. on your website. Great. But um, other than the one in June and the one in September this year, it, those are on location. And um, I have a big one coming up um, that was released this last January called Essence of Identity through Fiber Arts Take Two, where um, it's um, strictly, um, there's no technique. It's all about how you find yourself as an artist. And I have lots of um, activities and um, lists that you make, questions you answer. Um, it's uh, beautifully presented how Fiber Arts Take Two has presents their workshops. And I can, uh, I was told that I can tell my little secret that um, next April we're filming in Japan. Oh my gosh. My workshop on wabi-sabi and collage. Oh, congratulations. So, uh, yes, we're very excited about that. So we're making, we're already talking, making plans to go to Kyoto, maybe Tokyo, but Kyoto, Japan um, next April to begin filming for this second workshop I'll be teaching to them, which will be online. Oh my gosh. So um, there's something, there's pros and cons to both, I think, in that um, on location, I feel a very strong connection to the participants in my workshop and we connect one-to-one, -one, you know, I, I just, I really um, uh, thrive on that energy. And I learn things myself too. 
And, um, and I love the interaction with other artists on that personal level. Um, but um, with, co with COVID right now, it just seems like um, it's still sort of with us. And oh. like I said, it's been a little harder to fill those on location ones. Um, online, um, the pros to that is, is that you can um, go at your own pace. You can watch, you can do the activities when, when you can do them. Um, you can participate and uh, when you have, when you participate, you see it's a little more flexibility, but you sort of lose that one-on-one -on -one interaction. And so there's, to me, pros with each way. You know, in other words, they both have their strong reasons for um, either going online or on location. So uh, I agree. Um, I um, taught workshops, but it was always the main thrust of all my workshops has always been less about technique and more about finding who you are as an artist. I guess what I went through that black period and came out, I felt like the most important thing I learned during that period was who am I and what do I want to say and express as an artist. And um, I really enjoy working with other artists to help them find that out for themselves because that to me is the biggest joy I've ever gained as an artist is when I figured out who I was. And that's why I feel like it's so important to become more mindful and more conscious of um, what you like, what you don't like, what you uh, are attracted to and how you can bring who you are and all of that about what you're about to your own work. Because um, viewers, I think, connect more to your work. I've had much more success. I mean, sales, yes, that was then. Now, my success is more, um, I gain more satisfaction from just expressing what I want to express in artists and uh, if other people connect to it, that's very uh, satisfying to me. I get a great amount of joy from that, that, just that connection at that, uh, on that more personal level. And so that's very important to me when I'm talking to other artists is um, helping them become more mindful as well. And it's important to them. It's a gift that you're sharing. I use that term a lot because artists give of themselves so freely. I mean, it is really, truly the greatest gift of all. Your time, your intuition, your experiences, you know, your very soul. You do share with all of that. And I'm sure your students um, walk away much better and more whole than they've ever been. So Congratulations on that. It's a wonderful workshop because you can always learn technique. I mean, techniques yes. you can learn anywhere, right? Where you need someone like you in the room or on the Zoom to teach you how to understand yourself a little bit more. Yes, and you know, when I, um, and in those workshop situations, or even, uh, you know, I, I did a lot, of, uh, I've done um, mentoring, um, not this year so much because I started painting for this one person show in January, <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, 2025 paintings. Oh yes. my gosh. Yes. And so I've just been sort of immersed in that. I have taught a few workshops and done some traveling and stuff like that. But um, uh, last year during, I say the last two years, during sort of the lockdown, I did more mentoring um, on through Zoom sessions where one-on-one. -on -one. Oh. And um, so that um, it's amazing to me as I'm listening to somebody talking about where they're at and um, they're, they're, they're feeling lost or you know, confused or not even enthusiastic anymore. They've lost their drive. You know, some, some artists are just like, I don't know. Uh, you know, they don't know what right. to do next. Um, it's interesting as we're talking what my brain comes up with to suggest, it's like, oh, I, I'm sort of amazed at myself sometimes that I was able to come up with something that might help them figure something out for themselves as well, right? So um, during those type of sessions, in other words, I love this connection with other artists in that way. And when I'm teaching a workshop, 
and I feel like somebody's had a breakthrough during that period of time, just from listening to me and then thinking about what, you know, they start thinking about right. bringing things more to, to more conscious level. And then they like, oh, I get it now. I come home and I just am on a high for a while. I'm like, oh, I'm so excited for this artist. I'm so uh, pleased that they, you know, something clicked for them. Um, that doesn't always happen, I have to say, but I'm able to come home. <laughs> and, uh, I just tell myself, well, you know, some artists are going to get click on it and other artists aren't. Maybe they just aren't there yet. They're not ready yet. Right. I always tell artists that um, repetition is good. Sometimes you have to hear something a number of times. Right. Um, a woman from New York City flew to Arizona to take my workshop once. And um, the next year, she flew back to Arizona to take my workshop again. And the second morning of the second workshop, she came up to me and she, she said, or asked me, are you teaching us new stuff that you didn't last year? I says, no, it's all the same. If, if I'm anything at all, I'm consistent. <laughs> and so um, she said, oh, it was like she was hearing it for the first time. And I, I believe that, that you, uh, it takes sometimes this repetition and hearing something and hearing something. You can only take in what, you're ready for at that period of time at that place in time that is so true because you know it's you have to have a certain mindset those the person sitting next to you can even make a difference right because some people you feel so connected to and some people you're a little more defensive or protective of mm -hmm. yourself and mm -hmm. that can change the entire conversation yes. that you're listening to so i agree so i have to ask you this so you're talking about how you love the connection with everybody and teaching the workshops and doing a one person show has got to be the most diametrically opposed undertaking because you're in it all by yourself, Yes. right? It's all you, it's all your production. It's all of you on the wall with nobody else there. I mean, so how is that? just different for you or is it more difficult or i mean i i a one woman show to me would be paralyzing yes i have to agree except that what apparently whenever i'm asked to do anything at all i always say yes apparently <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards i'm like why did i say yes to that because uh it's actually sort of terrifying in a way you know i really like to hear authors of books when they're talking about when a book is released, because we're not the only ones. Anybody in any sort of art form or art endeavor goes through all the same stuff. Um, I, I read um, Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird years ago, mm -hmm. and she talks about the same thing. And this is what, was what some of these authors do. They'll go to the bookstore in disguise <laughs> and look to see where their book is placed. And then they'll hang around and watch, is anybody stopping? Are they picking up their book? Are they looking at the book? Do they put it back down and walk on? Or do they um, uh, pick it up and go buy it? They're actually in there checking all this out. And so, um, and I just, the recent art author I was listening to said he was doing that very thing. And um, a woman came along, picked up the book, looked at it and put it in her bag. She stole it. <laughs> So I have to say that this one person show, um, my first thought is nobody's going to come to the opening. My second thought is I'm not going to sell anything. <laughs> my third thought is, uh, you know, I mean, in other words, um, I am not, I, I get stressed from time to time. Most of the time, I'm just trying to get another painting done because I'm counting every once a week I count <laughs> how many and, do I have um, now <laughs> yeah and I sometimes two or three days in a row the number never changes <laughs> but I keep counting them every few days anyway um it is 
I am putting myself out there all by myself. And so the pressure on, I put on myself and I think other artists hopefully go through the same thing is, what if it's not any good? Oh, absolutely. What if I, I did the best I could and this is all, this is what they get. This is what, this is it. There's, there's, you know, what if it's not any good? Um, and so, uh, I, I mean, I, I have to deal with those thoughts and I tend to see the glass half empty, right? So, um, <laughs> I just, you know, this is my nature. I tend to, you know, nobody's going to come, nothing's going to sell. And I have to tell myself, well, that, that selling part, you know, um, it's, it's just that balance again of painting what I want to, what, what I want to express and now will anybody buy it? And I have to say, even in my workshops, I get that concern expressed to me that what if I do start doing everything I want to do and nobody buys any of it and it just ends up piling up in my studio, right? <laughs> That's a hard question to answer. <laughs> you know, um, it's, uh, it's like, yeah, you don't want everything just sitting in your studio piling up never going anywhere so it has to, it also has to do with how you get your work out ways that you do try to have sales from time to time um but not make it your total focus you know oh, absolutely. you always want to keep growing as an artist and changing as well so it's it's oh. difficult and don't forget to rely on your community there are so many of us who are passionately behind you and want you to be a success. Like whenever, when you get ready to do your one man show, make sure you let me know. We'll blast it on our social media. We'll put it in our newsletters. So we'll help you. And oh. then, and you know, it don't ever be afraid to reach out because all of your friends will help you as well. And that, and that helps, you know, if you just, if you know, well, you know, sometimes they don't sell. I mean, I have magazine issues that go on newsstands and oh my hell, I get the numbers and I think, oh my hell, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. And then <laughs> some of them are off the charts and are selling better than anything that's ever been on newsstands. So we all go through those kinds of things and they're hard. You know, they're they're really a hard thing to face. So no, thank you. I, I'm not um, good at... Um promoting myself or publicizing anything. I have a tendency to forget about all of that. I was just going to ask you, have you ever, uh, like an artist who's trying to figure out why um, the paintings didn't sell or whatever work they're doing, um, have you, do you ever try to figure out why this magazine sold better than this magazine? Or is it like the market in terms of the economy, things like it's, that? It's or? just like everything. I mean, it's, Yes, we, we analyze them. I analyze them personally and then the publisher and stuff analyzes them, but it's just like everything. I mean, the night of your opening, if there's a giant rainstorm, you're done, right? Yeah. Or right. Um, if the cover wasn't quite right or if the, it, it got shipped late. I mean, there are just a, a thousand variables, you know, and sometimes you have the perfect storm where nothing works and and then sometimes you have the perfect storm where everything works. Like we had four magazines hit newsstands two days before everything closed down for COVID. Oh. They are still in boxes in the back rooms. They oh. never did get on newsstands, right? Oh. So there's some things you can't control. And there's just, you know, something can happen in the world that just changes everybody's perspective for a minute. And they're focused on something that you didn't write about, you yeah. know, or whatever, or draw or create, or, you know, you just never know. But yes, we analyze the, we analyze them to death. So, um, but I do, I mean, it's part of what we all do. It's part of why I do the magazines and why we're building the website so that we can build a community to help all of you. We want to know about your events and your classes and your one-man shows and your new books and let us tell everybody and ask them to tell everybody, right? So that we can help because it's pretty difficult to put on a one-man show. I mean, you go girl, that's a huge well, undertaking. 
No, I'm, I'm very proud of you. I'm proud to say I know you now, oh, right? <laughs> well, you know, um, people say you must, you must be very brave. Or, and I don't feel <laughs> any of that. You don't feel brave? <laughs> no, I don't feel brave. Um, but there must be something in me that always says yes <laughs> to everything. And then later wonder what was I thinking? Make certain that you let us all know so that we can help you do that and advertise it and spread the word and um, get the support that you, we all want and need, right? For those things that we do like that when it, out of the clear blue sky, we say yes. And then wonder why we say that. Yes. So depend on us. Don't be afraid to okay. do that. Okay. Thank you. And then Donna, this is the part of the show that I hate. We've come to an end. And um, because I could talk to you and some of our other guests all afternoon. We could have lunch brought in and just share lunch, right? But towards the end of the show, I always ask our guests two things. One, I ask if you have a secret that not very many people know about you that you would share with our listeners. You know, I already let my slip, my secret slip. Okay. We'll <laughs> say about, it again. <laughs> about the, um, that in uh, April, 2023, Oh, I'm nice. filming um, my workshop, Wabi Sabi plus Collage in Kyoto, Japan. And it will be released uh, um, later in 2023 to be announced. Um, the way FiberArtsTake2.com does their workshop, upcoming workshop stuff, is you can go there to their website and look for the certain type of workshop you might be interested in. And you just um, put in your email address, express an interest. And then as the workshop comes closer to being released, then um, they'll send out an email telling oh, them nice. express an interest in this. And this is what's happening now. This is the release date and whatever. So the, it's already there at their website. It's not even filmed yet, but you can express an interest there. Uh, I also have my, so that was really my secret. Okay. I did think of um, a secret before that, before I found out I could tell that one, because <laughs> I had been asked to keep that one a secret. Right, right, <laughs> right got but, it. Um, the, the other secret I had thought about, and I, I'm glad now it didn't become my official secret, but I'm superstitious. Oh, you are. Uh, people don't know that. I have to put on my right sock and shoe first. Um, <laughs> When I like, if I put in 30 seconds in the microwave to heat something up real quick, I never stop on the number 13. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So um, I, it's, it's either 12 seconds or 14 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I don't like the number 13. And when I have to go, when something comes up that it's number 13, I'm a little apprehensive about, about it. Like, oh, that's on the 13th, you know. So oh just gosh. things like that. Um, I'm not obsessive about knocking on the door 20 times or anything like that, but there's certain things that I'm very superstitious about. Um, like I really do have to put my right sock and shoe on first. Um, sometimes uh, uh, when I've had, uh, I had knee surgery once and my husband was helping me put on my socks and shoes and he went to my left foot first. I said, no, 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 it has to be right foot first. Uh, so um you know it's just that's just a little secret i i don't think i've ever told anybody that that i uh i have certain quirks about the superstition oh i have a certain necklace i wore on an airplane once and we didn't crash so now i wear that necklace every time i fly so. you are superstitious <laughs> Which is okay, whatever it takes to get us through right. the day, right? right? Okay, and then the second thing I ask our guests is what your favorite quote, or one of your favorite quotes, most of us have many, but I think something in very few words speaks volumes about who we each are, so will you share one of your favorite quotes with us? Yes, so this quote is by David White, the poet. We withdraw not to disappear, but to find another ground from which to see, a solid ground from which to step and from which to speak again in a different way, a clear, rested, embodied voice we begin to remember again as our own. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. I've never heard that before. 
Well, Donna, I can't thank you enough for being my guest, for trusting me to be, to have your first podcast because I am not the most experienced, greatest podcaster. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, no, I thought this was wonderful. I thought you were wonderful. So. <laughs> I'm going to leave that part in the This podcast. is my first podcast, so... <laughs> The only disappointment that I have during our podcast from the kitchen table is when our time is over for today. It is such an honor for me to be able to create a moment for each of us to be together to share our stories. I can promise you, and you can trust me, no matter how easy these guests make the journey appear, it wasn't. They each started by taking the first step, together and alone, frightened and inspired, ready or not, each one moving ever forward simply doing what they love to do, and that is create. Because we are a community which is based on our support of one another, please remember to leave a review. Leave a review not only for these magazines, but for each other. It is a small investment of your time and yet an enormous gift to each of our guests that are working so very hard to be the best they can be in their chosen field. If you have any questions or want to know more, please visit womencreate.com. As you know, I am a lover of quotes and to end this chapter of From My Kitchen Table, I want to share my favorite quote with you. And that is, I love each of you and all of you with a thousand hearts. Until our next From My Kitchen Table, stay safe, keep notes and take lots of pictures. Thank you again. And we wish Thank you the you. best of luck with your one woman show and everything you're doing. And I will continue to follow you and keep track of everything you're doing. Well, this has been a wonderful experience. I felt very comfortable talking. I told you my, I told you two secrets. So, uh, <laughs> and I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. And thank everybody for listening. Thank oh, you. thank you, Donna. We'll talk again soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. bye.